When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to the start of a new week on Football Social Daily. Not that weekends make much difference to us here at Sports Social HQ because we're bringing you this podcast chock full of Premier League news and action every single day of the Premier League season. A full review of the weekend's action is available now on the podcast feed. You can check out Fergal and Co.'s take on the wins, draws and losses from across the Premier League weekend on yesterday's podcast. That includes a first win for Ralph Rannick as the brand new Manchester United interim boss. But just as things are going right on the pitch for Manchester United, suddenly there are problems off it with some revealing quotes in the papers courtesy of Zlatan Ibrahimovic about his time at Manchester United in his new autobiography. Exactly what the Swede has been saying will be revealed shortly and the impact it might have discussed as well. Speaking of trouble, Everton are arguably the Premier League's crisis club right now. They're in action tonight against Mikel Arteta's spluttering, inconsistent Arsenal. We're going to look ahead to tonight's game and decide if Everton can turn around their eight-game run without a win. To talk about all that, I've got Joel Tudor over there. How you doing, Joel? Good morning, guys. You got a cold, mate? No, I'm just very, I'm very cold. <laughs> Sounded very bunged up there. Marley over there as well. Was that a timely sniff from you, Marley? That was me. That was Joel again. Oh, no, you said, you said, you said he's not going to call, then he just went... Snotting <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> How are you, Marley? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Buzzing after the first win of the weekend, uh, first win of the season at the weekend. So, happy days. Bring it on. Hopefully, hopefully we're going to go into Jamal Lewis's prime performance at left back for the next hour <laughs> uh, maybe I think it's pretty rare I think it's the first time this season that the three of us are sat in a studio a Manchester United fan a Newcastle fan and a West Ham fan all happy and we've all celebrated <laughs> wins from across the weekend well it's the one time this season my team's actually won a game so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. it's fair enough uh, we are going to go into probably some of those games shortly but not in too much detail like I say yesterday's podcast is where to head if you want a full breakdown of the weekend's results but today we are going to start off with a game of heroes and villains as we like to do on a Monday your nominations for the good and the bad from the weekend's football would either of you like to volunteer to go first we'll start with heroes I think I'll let Newcastle boy Marley go first (laughs) Um, it could have been any one of 11 if I'm honest Um, at the weekend I just thought it's um, it's hard to praise one man in particular obviously Wilson got the goal and stuff uh, for Newcastle but um, as I mentioned, Jamal Lewis, I think since Eddie Howes came in, um, 
he's I mentioned Joel Linton last week and the sort of um, man management to just get the best out of him and you know ignite a player and say right look what do you want to do where do you want to play okay I'll play you here I want you to do this 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 and this and it's amazing what you get out of players and I think you're seeing the same with Jamal Lewis because under Steve Bruce I think we signed him for about 12 million quid from Norwich mm. um, and he was like he, he got in the team and then he was like the the scapegoat when things started going wrong and he wasn't playing that badly I don't think but then I think once he got dropped and then he got put back in the team he, he, he was starting to play poorly but that's because he's a young player. He needs confidence, like more than anything. And he had one of the most experienced managers under Steve Bruce, like that, that he's ever got to work under. Um, and Bruce just didn't manage him properly, mm. and then just basically let him sit on the bench for well over a season. And Eddie Howes came back in and said, "Well, the, you're the only natural left back we've got at the club. So yes, you're going to play left back in a in a, in this back four system as you have done when you were at Norwich, um, and all through your career so far." And he's just he's turning in proper performances now. I think um, he's energetic, combative. He won't let you past him easy. If he if you beat him, he'll spin and run after you and try and get the ball back. It's just simple stuff, like. But it's just all through that team now is just people that try. And we no one was asked when Steve Bruce was around because they were thinking, "Oh well, we've lost again." And back five hasn't worked. We're trying to give it to Alan and Maximan and hoping he can. Hmm. dribble past seven players and, and stick it in the net so interestingly I had a conversation with someone last week who had a bit of an inside scoop on life at Newcastle United now compared hmm. to what it was like under Steve Bruce and he said it's as simple as players now know what they're doing when they don't have the ball Yeah. so I mean it makes if you're a striker if you're a four player if you're a flare player I guess it's not as important so Alanson Maximum is going to look impressive in any team he plays for no matter what he's being told to do because he has the ability to surprise and take people on and kind of make his own thing happen if you're a defender in a team like that it becomes hugely difficult if the players around you don't know what they're doing if you as a defensive line don't have shape you don't know where you're going at any particular moment particularly when you've got the ball that becomes really difficult so I guess players like Jamal Lewis who do have ability Mm -hmm. are going to shine under a manager like Eddie Howe just by the virtue of him telling them what to do yeah well you could see that with um with when you go back and look at the side under Bruce compared to Benitez. I mean, Benitez had this largely the same team as Bruce had, but he made them the sixth best defence in the league. So outside the top the top six, we were the best defence in the league. That's because they were drilled. It was a back five, but the back five knew knew how to play, knew when to step up, knew when to drop in. And with Bruce it was like, Well, I'm putting five defenders on and you should sort it out yourselves, you know, mm. because there's five here, so, you know, there's more than their two strikers or their three strikers, you know, it's it was just kind of he just put them there and went, yeah, go on, defend, and uh, <laughs> but like every other manager was like, well, you know, when their when their winger goes on the outside, you drop in here so he can't come back inside, and it's just it's, it's just the little tactics you can see, but it's you watch ninety minutes of of football from Newcastle under the two different managers, it's just worlds apart, and that's why the. Uh, there's more hope around the club now, even though we've still got a big task to, to stay up. So Newcastle United as a whole, but specifically Jamal Lewis getting your hero of the weekend after a 1-0 win over Burnley. How those, <laughs> how those standards have dropped. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Joel, who are you nominating for your hero? I was going to go with Bernardo Silva just because 
he's just annoyingly good, isn't he? He's yeah. really annoyingly good, especially because he plays for a rival as well. I get the same feeling from him that I got from David Silva, which is like, even though he plays for City, he's just one of those players where you just have to tip your hat to mm. and just say, why wow, you're actually a very amazing player for your side. But the difference with him this season, I think he's probably the second best player in the league so far, just behind Salah. And obviously that's that's a pretty good achievement because Salah's probably the best player in the world right now. Um, so it just shows the level that Silva's actually playing at. But what I've noticed with Silva is he's he's coming up with goals that are actually meaningful. They're not just kind of like 3-0 stat padding goals. He's actually winning them games now, which has probably been a big difference to maybe how he was in the past. I mean, I think he got goals against Leicester when they won 1-0 away to them. And then he got a goal against United at Old Trafford, then against Villa uh, just recently. He's coming up with big ones and he's got, I think, seven goals in the league this year. Yeah. He's well on his way to probably his best tally in a City shirt. Um, and I didn't expect it because at the start of the season, there was a lot of talk of him potentially wanting to leave. Um, and I think even still, he still wants to leave, judging by Guardiola's comments on him this morning where he said that obviously City don't want him to leave, but he's a curious guy. So it sounds to me as if this probably will be his final season, judging by the comments people are making around him. But, I mean, it just shows how good of a professional he is because he's literally having his best season of his mm. career so far. He's already broken his scoring record oh, he already has. for Manchester City. Yeah, wow, he's never scored more than a gosh. season. But is he one of those players that he still seems to me, Bernardo Silva, that he's slightly underrated in the Premier League. Mm. People don't really appreciate how good he is. And I wonder whether that's due to the fact that he plays in a team with Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne and Jack Grealish. It's very difficult to kind of shine in that environment but here he is in a season where Manchester City maybe aren't quite as strong as they have been in previous seasons he is the ticking metronome he is the person who is getting those results for Manchester City it's funny as well because you would have thought in the summer that Jack Grealish would have been the guy yeah um, especially after paying 100 million for him but it just it makes City look a little bit stupid because they already had the guy who pretty much does everything Grealish does and mm. more Bernardo Silva's 10 times the player Jack Grealish is you can't, every single area of his game is better, um, especially in terms of his pressing. His off-the-ball work is ridiculous. I remember at Old Trafford, he was like the only guy who just, he's like Tevez, you know, the way he just kind of runs and runs and then he's like a, he's like the Guardiola player mm. of the full package where he, he knows his role so well. He knows how to press so well and he just doesn't tire at all. I think you're right where he doesn't get his plaudits just because he's in a bit of a superstar team and obviously compared to Salah where he gets, you know, goal after goal after goal but doesn't really get involved in the game too much. You would think it'd be the opposite where Silva with how nice he looks on the ball, it's very aesthetic. Um, he sometimes reminds me, not in terms of quality, in terms of messy, but the way he's got such like a like his agility to be able to glide past pay, players like Hazard did. Mm. He's he's really easy on the eye to watch, but just because City have got so many amazing players like De Bruyne, who steals the limelights with their, like a crazy Beckham style cross every other game, and then you've got uh, Jesus will probably come up with a winner. He's just the he's just the guy who does the dirty work. But he always comes up with the clutch goals as well. Mm. And I think that's why he goes under the radar. But now he's winning games for them. And that's why he deserves to be like, alongside Salah in terms of how good he is. Because he's been easily one of the best in the league. Definition of a box-to-box midfielder. Bernardo he's box-to-box, side-to-side. I, think, yeah. I reckon he could do a job at left-back. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Honestly. He gets a mention in a minute as my villain, actually. He's, villain. Not my, he's not my villain, but he's involved in the story around who my villain of the weekend Tell is. Tell me but more. We'll get onto that shortly. I want to nominate my hero, though. 
which is R2, Masuaku. Oh, I, I was such a shock as a West Ham player. <laughs> oh, but I mean, he's, he's one of my favourite... Is it favorite... for his insane cross? Yeah, well... <laughs> like Papi Cissé. He's favorite. one of my favourite West Ham players. Whoa, Cissé meant that. <laughs> oh, no, we're not having that. I love R2, Masuaku. I think he's a real character. I think he's not a left-back by any stretch of the imagination. And if he is, he's the only left-back in the league who can't put in a tackle. He's uh, <laughs> kind of... A, he's been played at left-back throughout his career and a little bit wasted. But I think we saw the best of him coming on at the weekend when he scored the winner against... Against Chelsea, and you only have to look at his Twitter bio to know the kind of character that Arta Masuaku is. His bio is baller for West Ham and DR Congo, hashtag King Arthur, which I think is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> the celebration matched it. So he scored the winner against Chelsea at the weekend in added time. It was a perfectly placed <laughs> inside of the foot could say that. shot to the top <laughs> corner he spotted Mendy off his line I mean there's some debate potentially whether it was a cross or a shot because it was speculative if it was a cross but I like the fact that Arta Masuaku put this to bed so on social media he posted so was it a cross or a shot question mark question mark question mark hint I was surprised as you. <laughs> Hashtag London Derby and I like that. I like the fact that players quite often style it out don't they when they, they score a cross that goes in they go oh I meant it was a shot but I like the fact he's nailed his colours to the mast and gone do you know what complete fluke but one of the game fair play Arta so that is my hero moving on to my villain as I promised it does involve Bernardo Silva because my villain of the weekend is Guy Mowbray commentating on match of the day on the Watford versus Manchester City game I don't know if any of you heard this when Bernardo Silva scored his second no so it was off a save, so the Watford keeper Backman made a great save, went to Bernardo Silva and he popped it in for the second goal. As he made the save, the commentary from Guy Mowbray was, Backman turns on overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now Joel's looking confused because Joel's far too young to know the band, the Canadian rock band, Backman Turner oh, this, Overdrive. It's like an 80s inside joke. There's a band. I was going to say, are you, are you saying I'm, I'm old enough to remember it? Because I don't either. You yeah. don't know Backman Turner? Oh, no. Right, so Backman Turner Overdrive are an 80s rock band from Canada. I was born in 91. <laughs> is everyone thinking <laughs> like and, it and their, and their big song. Well, this is part of my point to why he's a villain. So part of what their big song was, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Right. Okay. And so he'd squeezed that into his commentary. But it didn't work on two levels. A, it was just a save from a goalkeeper. It's like, if you're turning on overdrive, you're sprinting somewhere, right? So yeah, it doesn't right. really work from that context. You ain't seen nothing yet, then he concedes the goal anyway, <laughs> which is rubbish. And the fact that football fans in general won't remember who Backman Turner Overdrive are, <laughs> which you two have just proved. <laughs> which is why Guy Mowbray gets my villain award for his cheesy football commentary from the weekend. Marley, who's your villain? My villain uh, is, as, as long-time listeners will know, it's always something trivial and small that winds me up. And someone who's or trivial... Steve Bruce. <laughs> and someone who's trivial and small is Neil Morpé. Oh. And he gets it again. Um... Just because I just don't like him, <laughs> he's he just seems like an absolute <laughs> like you know, like just one of them players that just annoys you because everything about him is just housery. Like, it's just I like you know, again, long term listeners will know that everybody loves a bit of housery in the, uh, these days, like now and again. It's nice to see, but he scores a goal in the, in the last minute, and he goes and shushes the crowd. It's like I just just want him to get leathered with a bottle at some point, like someone just go bottle of water straight in the face 
and he'll drop like a sack of spuds and start crying on the floor like a footballer. But he just gets on my nerves because he he celebrates every goal like he's won the World Cup. <laughs> and it's like you've scored an equaliser against Southampton to make sure Brighton have gone now 11 games without winning. Like, have some, like, sense of, of where you are in your career. Like, you're probably Brighton's eighth best player or something. And you just you celebrate it like this. It's just just winds me up. Every time I see his little face, his little face, I'm just like, oh, you're in knob you. Like, I'd get an instant booking if I was playing against him because I just let him run away from me. Then I just clip his ankles. Like, right, fine. I feel better for it. I'll take the other card. But yeah, Morpe, don't like him. <laughs> so Marley, essentially, Marley using this feature as to a way to a, a, way, a way to air personal grievances and vendettas, which is fine. Joel, wrap it up. Who's I'm your team Gwendozi on it? You'll, ne- you'll never guess what my villain's Morpe, but for the opposite reason. Ah, oh, well, oh, okay. Now, I swear to God, I I think for me, you need these kind of players in football. It reminds me of like Jamie Vardy type, where right? they're such characters. But, you know, if you score a last-minute winner away side, mm. I'd do the exact same thing. He didn't score a winner. It's a bloody equal. Uh, well, yeah, but it's Brighton, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> They're not expecting more. Yeah, but, I mean, he scored, like, last-minute winners against, what is it, Palace when he did that dink. That was a nice goal. Yeah. Then he did the one against um, the West kick. Ham as well. Fair, yeah, yeah. Which, West... which, again, they did celebrate like they'd won the World Cup. Yeah, you had, he... like... Graham Potter going over to the fans at the yeah. end and giving it all that with his arms. Yeah, like, a last, on, any last-minute goal, if you, if it keeps you in the game, is always a nice thing. But I think for me, you always need these kind of players to kind of rile up the crowds because players have gone too soft nowadays where if they score an equaliser or a last-minute winner, they kind of, you know, they don't want to go over to the away fans because they might get a bit of abuse and that kind of thing. Whereas Mope, he's ready to jump in the crowd and start going for it. I think you need these kind of players... I remember when he had that argument with Gwendouzi, um, which ended up making Arsenal sell uh, Gwendouzi. And I think Mope got a lot of backlash from his own mm. club for that as well. I don't know if it was to do with like some arrogance. And you know what? I can tell. You can tell he's the type of guy where he's got a huge ego. He really doesn't give a crap what the kind of fans think of him. He's there to rile everyone up. And if, if, he's, a, he's, if he's a player of your club, you love him. If he's a player who scores against you, you want to run on the pitch like Adebayor against Arsenal. That's the way I see it. It's a very love. It's a very fine line. It's a love hate line. Um, but for me, he's a villain, but in a good way because I think you you need those villains in football. Like I kind of get what you're saying. I kind of get what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, he's a panto type. You need the drama. I, I love it. I live for it. <laughs> So there's our heroes and villains from across the weekend. If you want to get involved in the conversation, do so. Let the boys know whether you agree with their Neil Malpay slating and hating. You can get it at the Sports Social. That's a good name for a feature, that slating and hating. Keep an eye out for that in future podcasts. Um, we're going to talk about Everton versus Arsenal very, very shortly. But before I do that, have either of you boys ever been in a situation where you had to organise your team's five-a-side football? Yeah, you know, where you have too to, many times. You have to book it, you have to get the players, they have to count numbers, collect yeah. money and all that kind of thing. Pain in the arse, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Massively. Complete pain in the arse. There is a new app that takes the effort out of organising five-a-side football or any sporting event for that matter. It's called Spond and it removes all the hurdles and all the issues so people can spend more time on the game itself rather than the organising. And the best thing out of all is it's completely free. You set up the event, you send it to your mates, and then Spawn does the rest. It sends schedules, it adds the games to your diaries, and it does the important bit as well for me, getting the cash off people. 
after the game or even before the game because I remember organising a five-a-side game for about a year and I worked out how much money I lost from people not paying across a year and it was about 300 quid from a year of football so there's Jim, no that's more a you, problem. you need better <laughs> friends mate yeah. like, there's no more big Dave kind of going to his car scrabbling around in his ashtray looking for that quid that he keeps for the trolleys in Tesco because it's all done it's all automated in advance it means there's less admin and more getting stuck into the game and it saves on average the organiser of the football games or whatever sport it is 2.5 hours a week of organisation just from having this app. There's a million users already, so you can check out what the fuss is about for free and join the coaches, volunteers, teams, clubs and players who are using the app already. Spond.com is the place to find more information or you can search for the app in the Apple App Store or in Google Play. Get it installed on your phone and give it a go for free. Spond.com if you fancy giving that a go. Right, we're going to get stuck into Everton versus Arsenal next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Everton versus Arsenal is the last game of the weekend's action. Monday night football and two clubs who have both in the last month conceded four goals to Liverpool. So at least they've got that in common. Now the big news, I guess, comes from the Everton camp ahead of this game because it's been announced that Marcel Brands is set to leave Everton. Whilst that doesn't really change things on the pitch, Marley, straight away, I guess it does show that the club are panicking a little bit as to what's going on, because Everton are a club that are arguably in crisis at the moment. Yeah, um, something needed to change, didn't it? And I think with the amount of managers Everton have been through in the last uh, five or six years, or, well, since Moyes, um, yeah, that you know, it's not a surprise to see the sporting director go. Um, his record in the market isn't, isn't amazing, you know, 30 million quid on Iwobi stands out like a sore, like a sore thumb. Um, Moyes Keen, Jean-Philippe Bamin, £25 million each. You know, when these players don't um, don't step up and, and do it for you, you know, you've, you've got to look at the guy who signed them. And it was him. And there's even rumours of, um, of people above him having, like, saying, I want Iwobi, for example. Mm. Um, and if that's the case, then you've... Your position's untenable anyway, because if you're if you're in a position to make decisions and someone's making those decisions for you, you know you fight you're fighting a losing battle straight away. So, um, he's look he's he's had a go. They Everton have got big budget. Everyone knows that. Um, but Moshiri above him is the one who who makes the decisions. And sporting directors are literally, you know, like football managers are judged on results and. Sporting directors are judged on the business they do, and it hasn't been good enough so far. So, um, they think the best thing Everton have done in the past few years, other than sign Richarlison, is is bring through Calvert Lewin into a mm. into a top player. Um, so that kind of sums up where Everton are. And I think rather than sack Benitez and go in another new direction and pay another guy um, a compensation package, which will be massive. Um, it's time to do something different. See who else you can you can bring in that might uh, work a little bit better with Rafa, um, and get the best out of that squad. It doesn't feel like it's going to have a massive impact on the game that's coming up, maybe on the future of the football club. But you're right; it feels like one of those instances where they've gone. Well, what can we do? Can't mm. sack the players. We don't want to sack the manager. We feel like we need to do something because we're heading in the wrong direction. So I don't know what kind of impact it's going to have. He spent three hundred million pound since he came into the club, Joel. 
some of that on Alex Iwobi. 35 million, I think, Alex Iwobi cost or something. It might have been 27, actually. But as Marley hinted at there, that wasn't necessarily his choice. It was the choice of the owner to sign Iwobi. That's the rumour that's doing the rounds at the moment. That makes the job of a director of football or a sporting director really difficult, doesn't it? If the man above you is making those calls, you're being undermined constantly. So was he on to a losing battle from day one? I don't know how much truth is in that because then what's his job? Like if if the obviously I'm I'm sure every owner at every club has to sign off transfers, but I'm sure it's his job to seek out what the best recruitment is. Mm. And I don't think he's like the the um the one who is was the easy target. I'm pretty sure he had a big say in a lot of that. Because when he was at PSV previously in the Dutch league, he was the one who had pretty good track record with them. So I don't buy into the fact that um, you know, it's all on the owner. I'm sure the owner's been looking at the balance sheet and looking at all of these duds that they're signing, looking at the league table and thinking, I put in a three hundred million pound investment and we're, we're flirting with relegation. Mm. It makes zero sense. And I think on a podcast we did a week ago, Marcel Brands was my villain. And it is it, it was bluntly obvious. When you look at Rafa Benitez, when you look at his track record, he gets teams playing at the very minimum and makes them pretty defensively solid. At Everton, there's none of that whatsoever. And you ha- you can only do so much with the quality that you've got. And they're overpaid massively throughout these years. It's not even under Marcel Brands. It was under Steve Walsh as well, who went just before him, mm. where he was buying the likes of Schneiderlin and Balassi for 30-odd million each. It seems like Everton have just lost their way completely as to what club they actually are. Even in terms of when you look at the kind of players that they're signing, when you look at the ones who've actually been a success for them, it's been the ones who are the cheaper ones who give their all for the club, like the likes of um, Damari Gray, Townsend, Fabian Delph. They're all guys who just play for the shirt. They don't cost a lot and they're going to give you at least like six, seven out of tens every week. The, the strategy that they went with in terms of signing all these like Barcelona outcasts and players who were totally finished at the clubs, but it was totally clear like Schneidlin and Iwobi. What are the cl- like, all of us could have said before they signed those players? You're wasting your money. I guess it's a similar situation to Newcastle are in though, isn't it? At the moment where they want to reach the next level and the way they're, I mean, it's the tactic you use to get to that level. Clearly, the tactic they've used is these players have played at a higher level, so they're an upgrade on what we got even if they haven't necessarily shone at an Arsenal or a Barcelona or whoever it is. Yeah, but, but it doesn't... There's, there's always that thing in there as well, like when, when someone's been at the top top level, like let's take uh, Yerry Mina, for example. Like, might be a good defender, yeah, but I always think when somebody's left an elite club and they've took a step down, what is their motivation to get back? Like, because that's like a huge thing. Like, if they've already been at the top and failed... So are they are they gonna come back down to Everton and really play to get back there again? I always think like they've peaked, and sometimes mm. they know they've peaked. And how many players do you ever see who who take a step down and then play so well that they get another move back? Mm. It's not that many. Um, Does Dean, it mean that Dean's the top been level? pretty good? But like he's an Luke, anomaly, isn't he? Lucas yeah. Dean and Richarlison are the only two signings that Brands made that you'd say had been a success. And then yeah. you've got about 10 others who have just gone down the drain. They probably well, won't be 20, able to get 10 others, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's even worse then. I mean, you probably want to get, you wouldn't get 10% return of what he paid for some of those guys. That's what I mean. Um, it's, and judging on what Marley said as well, are they really top-level players then? If they've been sold, because they did, they played at the top level, but they didn't succeed at the mm. top level. So they're not necessarily top-level players. You could sell anyone, like Barcelona have had a load of duds that they've had to flog off. 
it doesn't mean just because you've been signed by that club, it automatically means that now you're an elite player. You still got to prove yourself. And that's why all these players find themselves like Everton and like you get teams such as, I don't know, maybe not Leicester, but you know, on that kind of level who take a chance thinking, oh, because he's been at Barcelona, it must mean that he has the he has the capability to go to that level when he never was at that level to mm. start with. It's something that historically West Ham have always fallen into the trap yeah, of, and, and they've changed works. that cycle slightly, mm. and that's led to the success oh, yeah. they've got. Yeah, there. I mean, you remember years and years ago, probably not so much now, but only between three and ten years ago, like whenever anybody left Man United. They either went to West Ham yeah. or to Everton. Yeah, it was like Darren Gibson. Like, and there's a reason who's going to have him. Yeah. Everton going to have him. Like, <laughs> it's just it happens all the time. And Sunderland, when they were in the Premier League, it was mm. it, it was there as well. Darren Gibson went there. John, John O'Shea, O'Shea went yeah. there. Wes Brown went there. It's just like they were that that level of like, yeah, we'll we'll have you because you've been at Man United. Mm. Well, sixty grand a week. Yeah, yeah, fine, we'll pay that. And then they turn out to play like they're just their careers over. Like, it's bizarre. Let's move on to tonight's game and the. Big problem for Everton remains the absence of Dominic Calvin-Lewin. He's still injured, still out of the game. And Solomon Rondon, the man who has been replacing him of late, he may or may not play. He's waiting for a scan on a hamstring to decide whether he's fit or not. But it's not really worked for Rondon at Everton. And this is a man you've bigged up on many occasions, Marley. You were disappointed he left Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Why hasn't it worked for him? Why is he proving ineffectual to lead the line for Everton? Uh, I I honestly think it's just his little spell in China um, which I think he was there for about two years two and a half years and that step down and then the step back up again when you're two years older than you were mm. I just think that's a huge um, a huge thing because like for, for Newcastle he was he was amazing Like he was target man he would fight with centre backs he would bring players into play he had the support around him um, from, from players like Jose Perez and uh, Kennedy actually remember random <laughs> random blast in the past I don't know where he is now Kennedy um, but we had we had some decent sort of options around him and we played to his strengths massively um, not sure Everton are doing as much but even if they are I just think that that step down has, has took everything that he had um, you know he, he arrived on a free bit of a, a free hit type of thing um, and it hasn't quite worked yet and he's uh, he's sort of left leading the line in, in Calvert-Lewin's absence, but I think even a couple of games recently they've played Richarlison as a as a main striker and, and dropped Rondon, which sort of um, proves what he what people are thinking, like he has dropped off a little bit. Um, and it's a shame really because he should have he should have joined Newcastle permanently. I think everybody mm. wanted it except Mike Ashley at the time. Um, Benitez wanted it, Rondon himself wanted it, um, and Ashley went and Splooged forty million on Joel Linton instead, which you know it's taken another another manager to come in and actually get a tune out of him, which is uh, strange. But yeah, Rondon, I just think uh, the the moves to China has has sort of robbed him of his of his prime time to to go and be a decent player for a bigger team. What about Arsenal then, Joel? Because we've seemed to say the same thing about them every few weeks is they start to do well and then they lose a few games and they kind of lose a bit of confidence and it's two step forwards, three steps backs or whatever. They've lost in recent weeks Manchester United and they shipped four to Liverpool. That was on their last trip to Merseyside so they won't want to repeat of that against Everton. Do you think this is just an indication of where Arsenal are? That they're just not good enough to beat the big teams anymore? They've kind of found their place and it is seventh, eighth, Ninth, so they're going to lose to Manchester United. They're going to lose to 
Liverpool. It's not necessarily that Mikel Arteta has taken a step back in the development of that team. It's just they've come up against a better team. Arsenal, I said it ages ago at the start of the season when everyone was hyping him because he got all these victories against like like Brighton and that kind of... Mm. They're always the bridesmaid and never the bride. And they've been that way for the last 10 years. Every single game that they've come up against, the big side, they've got demolished. Like They got smashed by, I think it was Chelsea 2-0 and Chelsea absolutely dominated them at the start of the season. Um, they got killed by City. They got killed by Liverpool. We we were the better side against them and we're in an absolute mess at the moment. Well, not at the moment, but at the time we played them. And for me, it's a case of they're just not at that level. It, it's the fact that the results have kind of lied to everyone in terms of where they actually are. They, they're good enough to beat these smaller sides. You know, they beat Watford and they beat Leeds and that's fine. They probably will overcome those types of teams. When they come up against the, the size who have actually got some quality about them, they get absolutely undone. Mm. And they've not got any injury problems to hide behind anymore now. At the start of the season, you know, they had like Partey out and they had the majority of the defence out. Now they've got a fully fit side ready to go. And um, it just kind of indicates that they're just not at the level yet that I'd I don't think they're going to get to that level either. I don't understand what people see in that side, if I'm honest, um, against probably what youth, a lot of people think. Youth enthusiasm. For it me is, but youth doesn't always guarantee that they're going to end up having huge potential. I know Edu, their sporting director, mm. said, you know, we're building a very young side. The potential's there. I don't care if you sign a 16, 17-year-old and put him in the side. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the next Cesc Fabregas in your midfield for the next 10 years. They've still got to have the quality as well. And it kind of showed when we played them uh, last week. You know, we, um, United, we weren't in the best shape ourselves. But Arsenal just seemed to freeze on the occasion that matters the most. Every single season it happens as well. Um, I guess they have got better as the as the time's gone on, especially after uh, Arsene Wenger retired. But they just, I don't know, The be- it's literally all I can describe them as is they're just the always the bridesmaids never the mm. bride they can't they, ta- they can't take that step I don't know if it's it's happened to us and it's happened to Arsenal that transition of leaving a manager who's been there for 20 odd years and trying to find your identity again it's like a bit of an identity crisis yep. um, but obviously Arsenal not got enough resources to actually do that so they have to do it this way which is kind of sign these raw gems or raw stones maybe so we've been fairly critical of Arsenal and been ve- fairly cr- critical of Everton going into this game. Can Everton turn it round tonight? Eight games without a win, coming up against an Arsenal side that who do struggle against the better teams, Marley. Can you see Everton stopping the rot in this one? Uh, I can't, to be honest. I, I do think without Calvert-Lewin, um, there's that thing of where, where your goal's going to come from. Um, Richarlison will obviously play, but uh, I just think Arsenal are, are fairly. They've been all right in the last few weeks. I don't think they did too much wrong against uh, Man United. They just didn't have enough up front to to cause more more issues. But the overall, the performance wasn't that bad. Mm. Um, so with the run they've been on, minus the games against Man United and Liverpool, who you know two of the top three, top four. You know you're looking at, uh, at Arsenal's last few games, and before that they were unbeaten since August. So. I can see that continuing um, and I can see Arsenal getting the points. 
Marley going for the Arsenal win. Right, next on Football Social Daily, we're going to get stuck into Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's got a new book out next year, and a few of the quotes from which are looking pretty tasty already. We'll tell you exactly what he's been saying and who he's been saying them about next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Zlatan Ibrahimovic has a new book coming out, an autobiography, Adrenaline, My Untold Stories, which sounds and looks like it's going to be absolute box office. This is already on my list. I thought of you were going to see it. Some, <laughs> something else beginning with B-O and, I, and, and ending in I mean, probably full of stories that are <laughs> that, but it just, I mean, there's a man that I think always entertains on the pitch and offer, and it is Latin Ibrahimovic. And a lot of the focus of the quotes that have been in the press over the last couple of days that are taken directly from the book, designed to build excitement, have come about his time at Manchester United and he has labelled them a small club. So the direct quote from the book is, everyone thinks of Manchester United as a top club, one of the richest and most powerful in the world. And seen from the outside, it looked that way to me. But once I was there, I found a small, closed mentality. That is what Zlatan Ibrahimovic thought of his two seasons spent at Manchester United. Joel, does this damage the Manchester United brand? Or because it's Zlatan Ibrahimovic, is it just Zlatan being Zlatan? I don't think Zlatan could have damaged it. We, the club <laughs> yeah. done it themselves in the last 10 years. <laughs> My God. Um, you know what? It's not, it's not even a quote that kind of annoys me because when you look at how badly run the club has been in its last five, six, seven years, it's quite obvious as well. I'm not even surprised he said something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I, with Zlatan, he's a bit of a rare breed of a footballer, isn't he, where... He's never going to filter what he says. Nothing's cliche. Everything's very original and very real. Um, And it's quite a rarity these days. I don't think you'll get many other footballers. I think it's just his generation um, who weren't all media trained and puppets for the media. He's just how he says it, how it is. Um, I don't think it damages the brand because, like I said, United have done enough themselves to damage it in terms of how poorly run you know Ed Woodward and the Glazers has, has run the club in the last years it's been a bit of a circus if we're honest mm. um, but you know his Latan, he's not all full of roses it is time at United sure he scored I think like 27 in his first season which is pretty good for a, I think like 35 at the time but he went missing in every big game I swear to in his career he's always gone missing in every big game so he has that chink in his armour to get let's, let's put it out there but I think I don't know if I've seen a report as well with Ronaldo saying that he was quite surprised with what he found when he first rejoined us. And I'm not even surprised because imagine going from the days of being under Ferguson where you've got all these elite winners who are always going for the league constantly and mm-hmm. there's never like a let up. You can't let up. And then you go to a side who don't really have any winners in the side at all. I don't think any of them have won the Premier League apart from De Gea maybe. Um, and I'm sure it was a shock to the system. <laughs> And I'm sure it was a shock to um, Zlatan, but the only difference I'm kind of questioning was that it was Mourinho there. Mm. But Zlatan wasn't the only player who said that while Mourinho was there. Alexis Sanchez also said it. I remember him saying a quote when in the Chilean press, which was that as soon as he signed from Arsenal, he went into a training session and wanted to cancel his contract. And I don't know if it was a club thing or a Jose Mourinho environment kind of thing because it it sounded pretty toxic when he was there mm. in terms of how you know like Schweinsteiger was completely exonerated from the side and he was falling out with Pogba and I, I, I would believe what he says I'm pretty sure it is quite accurate and it doesn't surprise me with what he said um, but I'm sure the book's going to reveal a hell of a lot 
and you know a book's out when he has to use a quote from Manchester United, so the sell it, let him sell it. <laughs> the, uh, that, I mean, the, the Mourinho story is a fascinating one in itself. Yeah, the, the, the time it's taking him to implode at each club seems to be getting shorter and shorter. It's already going wrong at Roma, but that's a completely different podcast, I guess. In terms of his comments here, Marley, this is Latin Abrahamovic talking about, particularly he was talking about the treatment of Wayne Rooney, and it was when Wayne Rooney left the club, went to Everton, and he was kind of erased from Manchester United's history at that point. So he was talking about how the club deals with its former legends. Does that impact players who might think about going to Manchester United? Because it's kind of like an employee leaving a job and then going to a website like Glassdoor and just kind of slagging off the company because you didn't enjoy your time there. It's not a gr- It's not kind of a a glowing reference, is it, for them as an employer of the way they treat their players? Uh, yeah, because um, at first, like I was thinking about this, like it's, it's just Latin, like he talks and he knows how to to keep the attention on himself, and you know he's he's, he's no stranger to to talking a bit of for for some nice PR and to make him look make himself look good or sell a book in this case. Um, but as Joel said, you know um, this has happened with with Alexis Sanchez as well. Um, it's happened a little bit with Rooney. Um, so if it keeps happening. I don't think it's ever going to put players off um, going there, but it's it's certainly it's certainly something to think about because it you know if you don't feel respected by your employer in any walk of life, whether you're a, a postman or a or a footballer or a pilot, like it's all it all gets into your head, you know. Um, and the treatment of Man United's former players isn't isn't the best, you know. There's, there has been cases of of uh, discontent with like former players and things like that and uh it's it's not a, a huge huge problem but it is something to keep like keep an eye on because if it keeps happening it doesn't matter if like one guy who's mostly full of <laughs> like Zlatan um it doesn't matter if if he says it but if he says it and sort of three or four others then someone somewhere's got a point so maybe it's something to keep uh, keep an eye on and keep thinking about how about Ibrahimovic's legacy at the club here, Joel. Did he have much of a legacy in the first place and has he damaged it in any way? I always thought, I enjoyed his time at the Premier League. Oh, so I enjoyed I. his time at United. Yeah, I think a lot of United fans hold him in like a good regard because everyone questioned whether he could do it at his age in the Premier League. And he, in that first season, he definitely, definitely did. Was he I think, 39, wasn't he, when I think, he signed? Yeah. No, no, no. He was, I think it was like 36, 37. Because he went to now. LA after oh, that okay. as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and our first season, he really silenced a lot of critics. I think he got around 27 goals in all comps. Um, and we won the Capital One, not Cap, why do I keep saying Capital One, the Carabao Cup. Milk Cup. Yeah. <laughs> Rumble and, um, and the Europa League, that was probably our last successful season, really, in the club. Um, yeah, let's be honest, like a legacy. I don't know if he has a massive legacy in terms of one of our best ever or one of the greatest players to ever play at our club. It was enjoyable. It was an enjoyable time, but, you know, the players who leave a legacy at the club are the ones who win us the big things. Mm. And he was he's never been a player who wins you the big things, regardless of what club he's been at. Guardiola got rid of him quickly at Barcelona. He ended up winning the treble. Inter got rid of him, and they ended up winning the treble. Um and yeah, he's won you, a lot. You got rid of him and haven't won anything since. <laughs> <laughs> it, true. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we won an effort. True, but um, yeah, I, anyway, moving on. I get on. your point. I get your point. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, he's he, he, like you said, Jimmy, he was a fun player to have. But in my opinion, like I think 
I think probably Cavani's probably left a bigger legacy than he has, in in my opinion, wow. in terms of the way he dedicated himself to the club. And um, yeah, he didn't score as many goals, but I think his professionalism and the... I think if you asked any United fan, if you could have Ibrahimovic 10 years younger in his prime or Cavani 10 years younger in his prime, it would be unanimous in what answer it would be. And that's telling, I think. Um, but yeah, he was, he was enjoyable, but I don't really think he has an amazing legacy. He had a great first season, then he got injured and mm. he was done. Um, but yeah, he's a character, isn't he? And I think that's the th- that's the legacy he will leave, the fact that he was a character. I just want to read one of the other quotes from the book, just because it made me laugh. It's also talking about how he turned up to Manchester United's training ground and every day he was asked to show his ID and his papers. And he says, I'd lower my window and say to the person at the gate, listen, my friend, I've been coming here every day for a month. I'm the best player in the world. If you still don't recognise me, you're in the wrong job. I can literally imagine that voice. Listen, my friend. (laughs) You can can just hear it in his voice, can't you? The book's out next year, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more revelations and quotes to come from it when it does finally get released. That is it for Football Social Daily for today. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever it is you're listening to this show because there is a new Football Social Daily chocker. It's crammed full of Premier League news and opinion every single day. Joel, Marley, nice one. Thank you. Cheers, lads. And you can find more from the Sports Social and the Sports Social Podcast Network at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.